All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is No Filter, our special series in collaboration with New York Magazine's The Cut. I'm Manoush Samarodi, the host of Note to Self. And every day this week, you're getting a conversation with a smart woman about how she portrays herself online, how she gets heard and deals with the downsides and the upsides of life on the Internet, how she owns it. Monday, we talked to YouTube phenom Lele Pons on whether her goofy, blonde, bombshell video persona is real or not and why teens and tweens love her so much. Um, People, I have never had so much social media love as when Lele tweeted, Instagrammed, Facebooked about me. Extraordinary. The power of Lele is real. Anyway, yesterday, actor Trace Lissette, love her. She is from the show Transparent. She explained how social media has helped make trans women and their everyday lives so much more visible. Right now, right here, it's day three. And the artist Amy Sherald Amy isn't really known for how she portrays herself, more for how she portrays others. Literally. And one in particular, Michelle Obama, who chose Amy to paint her official portrait. And I'm so excited to welcome today's reporter, journalist, awesome woman from our partners at New York Magazine's The Cut, Allison Davis. Hi, Allison. Hi, Manoush. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Okay, Amy Sherald. And I have to admit, until she painted Michelle Obama's portrait, official portrait, uh, I had not heard of her. Had you? No, actually, which is um, like doubly embarrassing because she works in Baltimore and I'm from Baltimore. Oh. So I know. <laughs> So I'm a little embarrassed to have not heard of her. So once they announced she was doing the presidential portraits, I was like, well, let me Google Amy Sherald, obviously, who's doing our, you know, goddess, former first lady's <laughs> portrait. And then I was so floored, and I did this deep dive to find that her career was really based around these everyday portraits of black people in a stylized, realistic way. And I loved that, that she only painted black people and that she took this sort of care with, just the sort of everydayness of being black and alive. And so the paintings are also calm and the grayscale is also calm, but every subject is so alive, even if they're just a waiter she found on the street or someone she saw on the train station. And then you get a little deeper into Amy Sherald's background and you find out that she's just like an incredible woman. So, I mean, I was like hooked immediately and I've been reading everything about her since. And I wonder if some people are thinking like, wait, why is she part of the series about how women represent themselves or express themselves on the internet when she's actually a very classical painter? Why do you think she's a good fit for this series? I spent so much time, and I'm sure 
I'm not alone and every woman spent so much time looking at pictures of Michelle Obama during the presidency. Mm. And I think that, like, she was a real sort of viral figure during Barack's uh, presidency. And we all have our ways that we want Michelle portrayed. And it was Michelle's choice in the end. I, listen to me, like, using her first name. I like, love she's my it. Girlfriend. It was Michelle's <laughs> choice in the end. Um, it was Michelle's choice in the end how she wanted to be represented. And she could have gone any way, but she chose Amy Sherrill, this painter that a lot of us hadn't heard of, that has a real unique voice and a really unique way of representing women and Black women and Black people. So it's sort of like she got to choose her own Instagram filter, and that's the one she chose, yes! you know? that's such <laughs> a good way to put it. I love it. And it's really telling. And this person, this Amy Sherald, who you are about to hear from, doesn't give a crap what other people think of the portrait that she did of Michelle. And, and there were haters, right? Yes. Allison? Yeah, big time. <laughs> okay. Well, should we just get into it? Yeah, let's listen. Would you mind saying your full name and what you do, just so we have it on tape? Um, Amy Sherald, and I'm a painter. Well, you've had an extremely exciting year so far. Mm -hmm. Michelle Obama chose you to do her official portrait. She did. How did that all go down? Oh, it came about as a surprise, but I was actually included in the portfolio of artists that the National Portrait Gallery sent to the Obamas to look at for potential portraitists. And she chose you? Uh-huh. Did you and her have a conversation, like, where you were like, here's how what I want to come from the painting? Or did she say to you, here's what I want to emanate from the painting? Like, did you have that sort of meta conversation? No. Um, for the most part during the interview, she just really wanted to get to know who I was. So it's just, you know, what do I do outside of painting? So, I, you know, I talked about community work. I talked about you know, life experiences and things like that. I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with, like, what kind of person I was. And that was just as important as what she saw in my work. Huh. So, you know, by the end of that, the conversation came to, so, you know, I turned to her and I was like, so I would really like to paint you and I would really like to paint you in grayscale. And she was like, yes, you know. Let's do it. So there was still, I mean, like, that was the interview. I didn't know whether I was going to be chosen yet or not. I didn't find out until, like, September 2016 or something like that. So that was the interview. I expressed to her what I wanted to do because, I mean, I don't know how this sounds, but, like, I really didn't want to do it unless I could do it the way that I do what I do because, it's like, it's pointless. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, so, like, that was my caveat, really. Yeah, so your interview is part of this series that we're doing about how women represent themselves online, how they portray themselves, how they curate their image it's really quite extraordinary to think of the first lady asking you to decide how she is presented to the world for posterity. Um, mm -hmm. how, how did you even begin to, like, think about what you wanted to do there? I started really just by um, going online and looking at the one million photographs <laughs> that exist on the Internet, starting from you know, Barack Obama's first day in office to the day that they left. I mean, there's some controversy around your painting of Michelle Obama, like Eye of the Beholder, people saying that, like, they didn't think it looked like her. Yeah. What did you think when people said that? I, th I thought, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> hmm. Because if you're mad at me, you need to be mad at her. 
I mean, like she chose me. The image <laughs> was approved by a board of commissioners. You know what I mean? If she didn't think it looked like her, do you think that it would be out in the world? You know, so I think because it was grayscale that it threw a lot of people off. And I think because she was not smiling, it threw a lot of people off. And I think people really wanted a glamour shot of her. And I'm like, that's not who showed up at this sitting. I photographed the woman who showed up at the sitting. And it wasn't the Michelle Obama that we all adore and look up to. And not saying she's not that, but when she's not on television, she's a different person. Does that make sense? Not like different, different, but like you don't have to be on and she's relaxed and she doesn't have to perform. So I, I didn't get in this to please everybody. The people who don't get it can catch up. You know, like some people need their poetry to rhyme, but um, I don't really care awesome. what people think. I don't. Do you think that it has something to do with like being in your 40s? I mean, I think of myself as kind of a, a late bloomer in terms of finding my voice. Do, do you think mm-hmm. of yourself that way? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do. <laughs> but it's also you're right on time, you know, because like <laughs> me, you know, having to move home to take care of family. And so, you know, for four years, the rest of your colleagues are doing stuff. And like, that was the beginning of Facebook. So like, I was able to see this person's having a show here. This person's doing that. And what are you doing, Amy? You're taking your own Betty to the doctor today. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so I think being a late bloomer is a blessing because one, you get to see everyone else make these mistakes Hmm. while you're still just kind of making your way into that space. And I think I made better choices because of that. I mean, it's interesting. You took time off to be a caretaker or caregiver. And so did I. I had kids and kind of Mm -hmm. took the off-ramp for my career a little bit for a while. And I always feel like I'm I'm behind, but you just put it in perspective for me. So yeah. thank you for I that. I felt behind too. I did. I mean, when I moved back to Baltimore, I was 35. I had a credit card. I didn't have any money really. I didn't have a car. And I, you know, I was living off of like $150 a month, you know, and like eating frozen kale and black eyed peas from Whole Foods. You know what I mean? It's like I was eating the same thing every day, but like I knew what my end goal was. Yeah, so you kind of have left out something else kind of crazy that happened to you in your 30s, which was that you had a heart transplant. Yeah, I was 39. I guess it was kind of the end of the hustle, kind of, and then the beginning of the rest of the story. Because I had already quit my job waiting tables. So um, I was training for a triathlon, like, And so I really didn't have any symptoms. I was running, you know, an eight minute, 10 second mile. And my heart was at 18% function. I just, I went to the doctor just as anyone would do before they embark on doing a big race or anything like that. And then, you know, one thing led to another. I ended up being diagnosed with heart failure. Wait, so one day you're running a triathlon, the next day you're diagnosed with heart failure. Yeah, pretty much. Just like that. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But like serendipitously, this doctor decides that I should get a halter monitor and then I should get a sonogram. And then that's how I found out. I mean, I can only imagine that going through all that also made you pretty fearless about getting back into painting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm already comfortable with risk. And then on top of that, I had nothing to lose. 
because I, you know, my doctor's like, you're eventually going to need a heart transplant, which to me was a nightmare. I'm like, I haven't gone to Napa Valley yet. Does that mean I can't drink? You know what I mean? Like all these little <laughs> crazy things. So in my mind, I had 10 years to live. And oh then I ended God. up getting transplanted at year number nine. And it's, that's just the way that it worked out. So I was living Whoa. as if 40 was not going to happen. Just in case it didn't happen. I just wanted to be happy when I died. Okay, well, that's a statement that will make you question how you're spending your time right now, right? (laughs) I mean, but also late bloomers, folks who have maybe taken a step away from doing what they love at work to care for the people they love, their parents, their kids. Isn't it nice to hear that you can take time off and come back bigger and better? I liked hearing that. Okay, after the break, what Amy decided to share on Facebook and what she definitely didn't in the years before she got famous. We'll be right back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and this is our special series, No Filter, Women Owning It Online. We are talking to Amy Sherald, the woman who painted Michelle Obama's official portrait. There was a time back in Amy's mid-30s when she wasn't painting much, and she was mostly taking care of her relatives. I asked Amy if she did much posting on Facebook during that time. No. (laughs) I did not. And it's not that I didn't feel like what I was doing was important, because for me... There was a deeper part of me that was also satiated by the caregiving in a way that that made me feel okay about everything, mm. you know. But I don't know. I just didn't feel like at that point, like Facebook wasn't the place, you know. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I think people didn't even know what to post. That's when people would just like their name would be there. So you would say your name, Amy Cheryl, and it would be like is going to the store, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we've evolved the way that we've, you know, kind of created our stories on Facebook. But back then, it wasn't the place for that. Okay, but fast forward, and, like, now it would be, like, Amy Sherald is painting Michelle Obama's official portrait. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah, it would be that, for sure. (laughs) But even then, like, I try not to post about myself. My friends get mad at me because I don't tell them things that happen, and then they come across it, and it's like, when did you do this interview? Like, when did this happen? I see, I'm the same way about it. And, again, I wonder... Is that an age thing? Like, I read this. May I quote you to you? You said, Mm -hmm. I was raised to be conscious of how I acted, spoke, and dressed. This performing Mm -hmm. aspect of my identity was cultivated from the beginning. What did you mean by that? And is that still the case as an adult? I think it's less so now because I'm in my 40s. I mean, for me, growing up in Columbus, Georgia, with my father being one of the first Black dentists in the city— And it being a small city, like everybody kind of knew who you were. Mm. And so there was a level of appropriateness that always had to be maintained, coupled with the fact that my mom is just the most appropriate person in the world. (laughs) You know, it's just like everything was about back straight. She would like make us sit in the corners for two hours just to read, you know, so we were (laughs) well-trained. Well-trained, very polite kids. But I think for me... Going, you know, going to private schools and not having that many brown or black people in those schools, like maybe like two from kindergarten to eighth grade, mm. that's when you really start to understand who you are. I mean, in the second grade, I'm not quite sure I understood race. And like, you know, my mom would like 
braid my hair when I was swimming and I would take it out because I wanted my hair to be like all slick back. She's like, Amy, your hair is not going to slick back like that, you know? So it's like <laughs> learning about who you are in an environment that doesn't represent you or affirm that. I think assimilation becomes repression mm. of self. And moving back to Columbus, you know, post-grad school with a new vocabulary and like just a deeper understanding of social structure, racism and all that stuff. I was able to delve into who I was and why I was the way that I was. And the things that had just become not subconscious, but like the things I would do in different environments without thinking about it, because mm -hmm. that's how I grew up, you know? I read that your dad wanted you to be a dentist like him because he mm -hmm. had this attitude that the civil rights movement was not about you being an artist. Yeah, that's what my mom said. <laughs> it's really funny. Do you my, mom just, my mom is just coming on board like three years ago. She's like, I get it now. Yeah. Do you think this painting would have changed his mind? Oh, for sure. I mean, she fell in line at the National Portrait Gallery when it kind of hit her that her daughter, she's like, you're kind of a big deal. I'm like, yeah, mom, I told you. Like, this is, <laughs> like, I know you're like, you're waiting tables and you're 36. Like, I'm kind of ashamed of you because your friends, oh. all my other friends were like physician assistants and they had respectable careers. And like, my mom had no bragging rights. And I understand that, you know. It's like, what's Amy doing? Well, she's working at Whitberry Kitchen, you know? So um, she's a waitress. Like, so nobody can see the vision but me. Nobody can see it. It sounds like you had a very intimate relationship, like, with yourself about mm -hmm. yeah. all of this. Which is easy to do because I'm an introvert. I'm so happy with my own company. It's not even funny. And you are on Instagram now. I am. Yeah, so, unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. I'm like, I wanted too much. I'm just wanted too much. What's your relationship with Instagram? It was my boyfriend when I didn't have one. Like, it was... <laughs> Now is the way that I search for models, but I follow like NASA, I follow lots of dogs, just kind of silly stuff. But I get addicted to it, like image after image, I just get addicted to it to a point where I almost can't stop and I have to like delete the app for like a week. That's so interesting that I asked you what your relationship with Instagram is and you talk about how you consume it, but not how you use it to yeah, post or yeah. create an, I don't know, personal brand, because that's a thing, and you're famous now. So yeah, what about that part, the posting part? You know, like, I have 113,000 followers now, and, like, that does kind of create an impetus to want to entertain people, <laughs> but I'm not that person. I don't like small talk, and so if I'm going to engage you, I really want to engage you, and I ask a lot of questions, which is why I guess some looking into other people's lives versus their looking into mine and me telling my story through these little curated images that lead people to believe that my life is fabulous when it might not be, you know. I'm curious to hear your sort of analysis of, as a portrait artist, of the, the, the self-portraiture that we're all doing all day long on these social media platforms, posting selfies, trying to capture the essence of ourselves, I guess, for people to see. Like, what do you think of this self-portraiture that we're all engaged in right now? I mean, I'm not sure anybody is really telling their true story through these selfies. I mean, we like to think we are, but if we really were, then they all wouldn't be happy. You know, I've had people say to me, like, you're doing this, you're doing that. And I'm like, did you look at the dates? Because, like, I went out three times last year. 
Amy, is there anything you want to tell, I don't know, people who are trying to curate their image online or, or trying to capture their essence in what they post, this idea of sort of presenting ourselves to the world? I mean, I feel like you would have a very unusual perspective on advising people on how to go about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have advice. I believe in faking it till you make it. I believe in the power pose. And so I guess like if that's your intention with these curated images is that you are building yourself into this person that you want to be, then I say that's great. But sometimes you go to people's Instagram pages and um, every single photo of themselves that's a selfie, it's like the same angle and the same (laughs) duck lip. And so, I mean, like that's not about anything but proliferating their image for likes, which is, you know, like, who am I to criticize that? Because sometimes, like, getting likes is fun. It's like, this is great. I look cute today. I want to post a picture of myself. And then everybody's like, you look great. We love you. You look great. And you're like, yeah, I do. Thanks. You know, it got me through my day, you know? I think in a way, like, I'm too self-conscious, you know? I'm the kind of person that will post something and then be like, no, that was stupid. And then I'll delete it. You know what I mean? Like I can't, I can't tweet, I can't Facebook because I'm so self-conscious that it might be stupid or something like that, that I just like, I get stressed out about it. And 15 minutes later, I just delete it. So um, I'm not that animal. I can't. You've found can't. other ways to express yourself pretty yeah. uh, successfully. Yeah. Amy, Cheryl, thank you so much. Thank you. Amy, Cheryl wonderful, exciting, inspiring woman who has done, I think, the most beautiful portrait of Michelle Obama. And I'm back here in the studio with Allison Davis from New York Magazine's The Cut. I have to say, her unwavering belief, she just kind of like knew it in her gut that she was always going to be a painter, no matter heart problems, no matter taking time off. It was just truth to her. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of self-confidence as an artist and as a Black female artist, I find that so rare and so admirable. It's easy to get derailed by all of the things you've listed. It's amazing that she just like, nope, this is what I'm doing. And now, like, she's really doing it, you know? Can I ask you, Allison, I, how old are you? Oh, I'm 32. You're 32? 32. 32, okay. yeah. You're not there yet, but what did you think about her talking about being a late bloomer? I, I as a 44-year-old, found that to be a complete, obviously, relief. Yeah, yeah. I feel like as—I mean, I'm sure you feel this way, too, that as creatures of, like, the Internet, you see success and fame and notoriety happen really, really fast for people mm. at a really, really young age. And it can often feel like if you don't get it now before you're 35 or, you know, before you're ineligible for one of those 30 under 30 lists, like, <laughs> you're just not going to get it. And— It's inspiring to hear Amy sort of know that she was always going to succeed, but also feel like she could take her time and develop in the way that she needed to develop so that when she hit the success, she was so confident in her own vision. Because that's something that you don't always get when you're a young person who, like, gets super famous. So she's, like, well-honed, you know? Totally. And I'm curious to know, like, as someone who has written extensive profiles of young women who are making their careers on the internet, do you get the sense of unwavering commitment or do they have a, a little bit of what Amy Sherald has? You know, some people do. But I think the difference is that they 
listen to other voices too much. And so maybe in their hearts, if they were in like a biodome or some sort of <laughs> like protective bubble, that they would never stray from the belief in themselves or what they did or what they wanted to do. But unfortunately, we live in this very loud culture where like you're always hearing the detractors and you're always hearing the voices and I think that that gets to some people. I mean, I feel like the best thing we can wish on those young women is that they get to the point where Amy Sherrill is, where she's like, whatever. Yes. <laughs> Michelle yeah. chose me, so whatever. Michelle, like, highest honor. She doesn't have to listen to any haters. Michelle chose her. <laughs> totally. Allison Davis from New York Magazine's The Cut. Thank you so much for being here with me to talk about Amy Sherald and that amazing portrait of Michelle Obama that she did. Yes, with the blue fingernails that are amazing. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I oh, gotta go look yeah, again. Yeah, sky blue fingernails. It's incredible. Friends, I hope you're enjoying this series as much as the team and I enjoyed making it. No Filter is, of course, a collaboration with our pals over at New York Magazine's The Cut. You can check out notetoselfradio.org and thecut.com for beautiful photographs of all the women in this series, um, beautiful portraits, plus also more wisdom from the insightful, awesome writers at The Cut. Tomorrow is day four of No Filter, and we've got war correspondent turned anchor Christiane Amanpour. Maybe you know her from her CNN show, Amanpour. Maybe you know her from the Gilmore Girls. Maybe you know her from her new CNN series, Sex and Love Around the World. We talked to her and cut contributor Anne Friedman. She is, of course, also the host of the podcast Call Your Girlfriend, co-host. That day really spoke most to me. And we're curious, as we sort of move on through this week, is there anything that has struck you in particular? Has something made you understand better what you do online or maybe decide to do something different? Whatever you're thinking about, I want to know. Please tell me what. Go to notetoselfradio.org slash share to record a message. Or, of course, you can record a voice memo on your phone and then email it to us at notetoself at wnyc.org. Um, you can, of course, drop us a line on Twitter, even Facebook, or a regular old email. That's totally legit. Note to self at wnyc.org. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Kunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Justine Daum, Keegan Zima, and Ernie Indradat as well as Anya Zushik for their help producing this special series. Hannes Brown composed the music for No Filter, and we also featured music by Yata in this episode. We'll link to their SoundCloud in our episode page. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi.
to do. In this place we stay, mold is growing like grass, wild but colorful.